Well, today we have a very special interview with Damien Tomlinson. Hopefully you've heard and you know of Damien Tomlinson. You may have seen him in the um, Mel Gibson movie Hacksaw Ridge. You may have seen Damien on Champions vs. Challengers Survivor. You may know Damien's story as an elite operator in the Commando Forces for Australia, representing them in Afghanistan, where he suffered life-threatening injuries when his vehicle was blown up by an improvised explosive device. Well, now we find Damien dedicated to the world of golf, as well as and sharing his story and helping others. And we catch up with Damien on the podcast where he chats to Jamie about golf, about where he's going with his golf, about how he sees golf as a help and a support in his life. And it is a really uplifting story, Damien's story on its own. And it was great to be part of this conversation, sitting back, listening, just pressing the record button. Enjoy our chat with Damien Tomlinson. He is an elite man on a number of fields, and uh, I'm sure that you will see that after you listen into him telling us about his story and his world and life in golf. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast by mentalmastery.com.au, the show dedicated to fun mental performance strategies for your golf game. Join mental performance coach Jamie Glazier and co-host Ross Flanagan as they discuss how to manage your mind in one of the craziest sports there is. Jamie Glazier, welcome to your own podcast. Welcome back to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. I always feel funny welcoming you to uh, our podcast uh, up there in Queensland. Jamie, how are you? Very well, thanks, Roscoe. It's uh, the sun's shining today, which has been a nice change from the last mm. week or so up here. It's been very wet. Um, I did manage to get a game of golf in on Monday, and I've got another one coming Sunday. So I'm wow. getting a bit of momentum in the game myself, and um, yeah, it's fun. I'm enjoying being back out there. Two rounds of, or three rounds of golf in a, in a week and a half. Uh, hot. Let's get the uh, ace cam hole in one alerts ready. <laughs> uh, I, I, I scared it. One, I scared it once or twice, but but there's nothing to really, really uh, you know uh, talk about. But uh, maybe Sunday's the day. If you heard someone chuckling in the background there, it's a guest that we've got coming on today and we'll introduce him in a minute. Uh, obviously very aware of the uh, the hole-in-one stories uh, of yours, Jamie. Um, we've come lack thereof. Lack thereof. We can hear him chuckling. We should introduce a very, very, very special guest. Uh, I'm very privileged to have Damien Tomlinson uh, join us today. Now, we've seen Damien on Survivor. Jamie, that's where you got to know Damien when he was on uh, the Survivor uh, episodes with uh, Jackie. Uh, yep. Those of us that have seen Hacksaw Ridge, we've seen him on the movie, autobiography, and you know Damien's story is, it's hard to describe for me to put into words stories like Damien's. You know, I follow a number of people that you know have journeys similar to Damien. You know, we've had Mike Brown, we're friends with Mike Brown, different story. Damien's story is, a, is another one and you know he's joining us today to, to help us understand that, but more importantly to help us understand how golf is important to him and how it helps him and serves him in his life now. So without any further ado, Damien, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, boys. It's awesome. Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks for joining us. Um, as Roscoe said, uh, you were on the same season uh, of Survivor as Jackie was, um, and which was uh, awesome for both of you. I know you've both been uh, fans of the show, and, and Jackie had, had been a fan of the show from day one. And um, when we oh, met, see, I think that's reunion, where I went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they stitched um, her up the locks on it too didn't they they edited her in a they gave us they gave her a sketchy edit so 
they had yeah, to try was, to make a villain because you were taking the the war guy out of the thing. But yeah, yeah, no, it was uh, but it was good, mate. I mean, obviously, we met at the reunion, and um, and then seeing you know your your journey with the game of golf since has been been exciting, and it's a it's a privilege for us to um to have you on the podcast, and um, you know, we just before we pressed record, we were having a bit of a chat, and there was a few things you said about the game of golf and how it's it's really served you and and and, and helped you. Um, you know, the last few years, and, and I can't wait to sort of really unpack that. But um, just for the listeners, mate, give us uh, a little bit of a background into uh, into Damien, um, you know, ex-commando. Um, so just fill us in with, with your story, mate, and, um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Yeah. Okay, well, I, um, I grew up on the, the central coast of New South Wales in a little place called Terrigal, a little sort of surfing town where um, – and it might just be my attitude towards it, but uh, yeah, I, I really didn't find it too inspiring to be over the top good at anything. You know, you'd sort of do the, as long as you were surfing and doing the right thing with the crowd, you were, I guess, doing the, the cool thing. And I probably focused a bit much on sort of that. But I don't know. I didn't really see any way out or way to anything to really pursue that was going to push me to a, the level that I sort of thought I should be at. I mean, sport always came really easy to me. So I know, but I felt that there was just every time you'd get close to knocking on a door that was going to move you, progress you forward, you'd sort of open that door. And on the other side of it was someone who was shutting it on, you know, it was, it was sort of, I don't know. And I, but I got to a, I got to a stage where I'd sort of let it all go the wayside in year 11 and 12, um, which dad and mom expressed their disappointment repeatedly in between stories at the table about golf. That's, you know, when it comes to golf, I didn't, I definitely didn't have a choice. It was, mum was a really successful amateur golfer. She's done great. And yeah, it was just a big part. I was always at the golf course. The one thing I didn't like was I knew everything that I couldn't do because I wasn't a member, which was everything, <laughs> you know, but I still had to wear a college shirt. You still had to do all of these things that had me sort of not too keen on the game, you couldn't go and hit a ball in the golf net or you couldn't use the putting green. You couldn't. So you're sort of just sitting there with all the other kids just going like, well, what are we doing? But yeah, I don't, I don't know whether that influenced my decision or not. I don't, I don't know. But um, yeah, I was always reasonably good at cricket. I thought I was going to play for Australia. I'm 15 years old and I've made one rep team or something of that sort. And I'm naturally, I'm the, the next Steve War. Um, <laughs> but I, got, I sort of got to a stage where I was... Uh, early early 20s and I was looking around and I mean I still believed that I was capable of doing something good you know I sort of thought that deep down and something that's hard something that's uh it's gonna it didn't matter that it was gonna take work I just wanted to do something that maybe gave me the, the chance to sort of perform the way I felt I could and I um I went into mum's computer because I'd had a chat with dad I sort of like you know dad what's the answer this time? And he's like, he told me a story about wanting to be an architect and a teacher told him, telling him he didn't have the right grades. And he's got a, a degree in economics and a master's of applied science, which are both pretty heavily mass based. And he's like, and the moral to that story was, see, no one can tell you what you want. And I'm like, okay, well, what, what should I do? And he's like, fine. You just, you find it. Like, let's have a look. So I went into mum's computer and it, I saw a, a thing for the special forces, this ad that had basically had, do you have what it takes written under it? And I was like, well, yeah, of 
course I do. I'm going to be fine with this. This will, how hard can it be? Um, it's incredibly hard. I think the the training that I was doing to prepare myself for it, and I got a good ten months, was probably like now I would consider it really, really laid back, easy sessions. And I thought I was belting myself. I'm yeah. like, oh, this is oh, really hard. But um, yeah. Long story short, I ended up being like successful in that whole bid, going through the process that you've got to. Um, and I found myself down at, it was four hour commando that got re-rolled the two, uh, renamed to the second commando regiment in the special forces. And I was there for a couple of different deployments where I sort of learned a lot about myself, you know, and what, what I was, I think that a lot of the lessons that you learn are ones that I've taken through into different phases of life, you know, cause it's never really what you would expect you know i mean you kind of expect i expected the front row of the footy team to be the type of guys that are there and it's not it's just people who are resilient you know people who are like you got to be trainable you've got to have so many different attributes and one of them is just not having that factor of quit which i mean i i felt like it was my last my last ditch thing or i was going to be digging ditches for my life so i had to be successful and kind of gave myself that it's the only option thing, which means, you know, physically I'm happy if I wake up in hospital and they've stre- like they've had to take me there and resuscitate me or something. That's when yeah. I've done enough. Yeah. And through that sort of process, you realize physically you're capable of so much more than your brain lets you think, you know, you've got the, you, you get the a whole heap of stops that it, it's just your mind being in control of it. And it just rejigs your thought process around completing complex tasks, you know, it's, um, and it's one of those, you, even down to, I guess, your marksmanship and stuff like that, that you're practicing when it comes to your shooting and things like that, uh, and making sure that you're up to scratch for that are all sort of things that I've now taken across into the, into the game of golf. But I think to get there, I ended up in, I was in Afghanistan, obviously I really excited about going there. That was the, I think that was the thing. It's really the test, isn't it? You got, you've had, you're actually there on game day. Plus that was the big thing about the reputations of people, which are a big thing. The social game is a huge part of, uh, you know, a unit full of alpha males. That's, it is. And at, at first, when I first joined the army, it was about getting time up, you know? Mm-hmm. So a guy with 25 years time up was, he was the guy you had to listen to. Whereas then our unit had become, this guy's already been to Afghanistan twice he was involved in this. He did this. He did this. He did this. He did this. Okay. And he's, his rank is private or he's a Lance corporal as opposed to a warrant officer yelling at people about what they're going to do when they're getting shot at. And then you'd sort of have people like starting to pipe up going, well, when's that happened to you? You yeah. know, it became one of those sort of things. So I was there at that sort of moment going, okay, cool. We're going over, we're getting this done. And then when we're doing a job that, sort of simplified a bit. We're moving into a, onto a spur line, like a mountain range that overlooked the bottom corner of a, of a village while the other platoon hit the two compounds that we'd had that were isolated. And they're like, you know, there's, um, yeah, there's obviously bad guys in there. So let's go and fix that problem. And as we're moving up on the side of the hill, like this, and part of the job, right, is you're managing risk. You know, you, but that's, that's all you can do. There's always a risk. It's always going to be dangerous. All you can do is give yourself the best chance of success in that moment. 
um, which, you know, is we were driving in each other's wheel tracks because we're driving at night. It's 11.30 at night. And, um, yeah, my car somehow was – I was the five, fifth car in the lineup and we're basically moving up, going to split on either side of the snipers to give them support. So it's kind of like you almost got the night off. It's great. You're like, well, this is awesome. We're going to get to eat. We're going to get to do whatever. Maybe some people will get to sleep. This is awesome. And then my car blows up. So, I mean, I was I was driving and it took my right leg uh, probably two-thirds of the way up the, the femur. My left leg was damaged, both like tib-fib, both broken halfway up. My right arm, this elbow was shattered. They rebuilt that. They did really well with that one. Right wrist, three bones in that hand. This arm was on like a weird S-bend apparently. Um, and it shattered my nose and split my lip and a couple of other cosmetic things. But I mean, in the positive thing, my nose is actually not horrific now. If you saw my nose before it got blown up, like it's obviously had surgery a couple of times. If you saw it before, it's horrible. Like, it was now. really disgusting. Yeah, that's the thing. And I mean, you can't say to your boys, hey, guys, I'm getting a nose job just to fix what I was born with in my nose, can you? You can't. It's not really that accepted, especially back then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I... I went through that process and then different phases of rehab. I'm working out that I couldn't do the job that had made the difference, you know, really for me emotionally, it meant the difference between me proving myself to myself. And I guess, yeah, really the thing that I I thought at the time to find me, I couldn't do it anymore. You know, I physically wasn't going to be able to do those things. So I went, went on a bit of a journey with different, in different spaces to deal with it. And I think the strange thing mentally when you're in that spot is every single person around me expected there to be fallout. So I felt uneasy when I was talking to people because they'd expect me to be in a really bad place mentally when it was the first off time that I'd had in like five years, (laughs) five solid years. And it was the first time. And every friend wants to chat to you. Everyone yeah. wants to have a beer. It was great. It was like a party. I thought it was fantastic. And then, but then everyone's sort of getting into this really deep sort of spot with you. And so are you, are you really, are you doing all right? And I'm like, yeah, I've watched like two episodes of Family Guy and a movie today. And now we're at lunch. This is, is great. I mean, it's kind of good. I think at that stage, it hadn't really totally kicked in because I woke up. And everything was different. You know, I didn't go through a transitional stage. So I was kind of like, all right, this is what I've got. Wow, I'm still here. This is, uh, there's only the way forward now, you know, there's what to do with it. And I think I'm pretty lucky in that respect that I've never had a moment where I've had to go, why, how did it happen to me? Yeah. Like how and why did it happen to me? I, I know how and I know why, you know, it's and it's not something that I would change. It was something that, no, I, I, I'm really proud of the decision I made to serve, serve in the army and getting the opportunity to do it, I think is a, is a huge privilege and honor. So I, you know, the whole time it was just, okay, cool. Let's manage, let's manage the hand that I've got. And so you work yeah, and, and you work and both legs were amputated. Yeah. Everything was yeah. done. My arms were in braces and it was all sorts of stuff. I, could, I mean, I was sort of in and out because it hit my head really hard. So I had a closed head injury. So it's like, I mean, my memory was so bad. I My girlfriend at the time came in and I had this speech rehearsed for her 
And it was that, you know, I've just come to grip with, with the fact I've lost my leg. I'm really theatrical when I do anything. I've always sort of been interested in that. And she walks in. I like literally, I think I've probably sighed, like oh, took a deep breath and then started delivering this thing. And I saw her face just slowly turn into like, I'm like, is this funny? Like what? what exactly is funny about what we're doing? And she's just like, this is the third time you've done this same speech. Right. <laughs> and I literally, I had no idea. And I was just, I was emotionally into it. Like I was yeah. seriously, I was in character. I was deep in character. <laughs> a guy who's upset that he's just lost legs. Cause I thought that's what I, I that's what I'm going to do. But yeah, I mean, it, through that process, I think there was a driving factors to be standing again was the fact that I was still alive. You know, I'm like, what are my guys doing now? You know, I'm not there. I'm here. You know, they're, they're obviously stuck in situations that I'd rather be there for and how I just still mystifies me and doctors, anyone who's read the notes, how I'm still alive. Mm. Yeah. So when you sort of see that, you I had a lot of time in hospital to go, okay, cool. Let's, what can I do to, give something back. And in my mind, the best thing that worked was to be the first thing they saw when they walked off the plane. Yeah. So, but to do that, I'm not going to be in a wheelchair. I've got to be walking. So I was all of a sudden, I was on a timeline of, I've got probably, it was about two and a half or three months to be walking unassisted by the time they get home. And that, you know, it's, you don't really, you know, I, I didn't think then, you know, I'd sort of do whatever I could to make sure that I could make that work. You don't think about the, the pain, the failures, all the different things that happen on your way into making that happen. But I won't forget everyone's face when they come off that plane. You know, I have my whole team stand behind me. And it's one of those rare jobs where you, you work with your heroes. You know, I mean, you're just like, fortunate enough to be there with guys who like do the job or not. You just, it's kind of a privilege to be near. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. that. So it was really, it was really important to be there and have that moment. And it did the right, it did the right thing as well. Everyone sort of said, you know, it's, it made a huge difference to the way that they felt when they got home. Cause it's hard to sleep when you get back off yeah. any deployment, you know, everything's out of whack. You're just not in a good spot. You know, your anxiety's in, in a sort of strange place and that. So it had the impact that I wanted it to have, which was really cool. I mean, and as a byproduct, I pretty much sorted out how I was walking. Yeah. So that's yeah one of those one of those positives and I mean through the journey I then wanted to redeploy which is kind of the more I look back at it now it was still me just kind of white knuckling the job and what it meant to me um, yeah. so I I'd done part of it the part of a sniper course that I could do the image capture the transfer or all the little bits that I could do especially for the domestic side of it um, I'd done a mortar course I think I'm probably the only double amputee that's done that but um yeah I'd done those type of things um to try and redeploy and eventually it just it just really broke me that you know the simple things of just getting places on time like all the that just responsibilities of being a soldier at that level were really hard, you know, they, and we're getting harder, but the whole job's hard. So you're used to feeling that way. Yeah. 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 Isn't that, it probably makes sense. It makes sense to anyone who's done anything at a really elite level. You know, it is, everything's always got this layer of just deal with it. It's difficult Yeah, type thing. So it wasn't new to me, but I want, 
I think I just, with where my head was at the time, it was slowly sort of the weight got heavier until, you know, I just was, I'd come to the realization. I just couldn't do it. They're like, look, you can, you can have a job for the rest of your life. You can be a clerk if you want. I'm like, cool. I didn't sign up to that. Yeah. That's not, it's not me. Like, and I, I liked it, but I could see as well, there were bits about, uh, the way that the job works and stuff that I just wasn't dealing with. Well, you know, yeah. I've never been great with authority and it just got worse. <laughs> like knowing that <laughs> I could get away with what I was getting away with at the time. Um, so, but it got to, I got to a stage where I was like, okay, cool. I'm just, I'm not that guy. I had to talk in the mirror to myself and just was like, you're just, you're going to be able to find something else. Something else is going to come up and you'll be sweet. And I'd been snowboarding a bit. Um, just as they sent us down on a winter camp and I could ride a snowboard again. I, I grew up surfing, so it was reasonably easy. Everyone was amazed by it, but I thought it was pretty straightforward. Um, and then I, yeah, well, I got a call. I think that they did like the mental health, the welfare call. Yeah. And my snowboarding coach rang and I just thought it was just pure coincidence that I'd blown up at someone, left work, I'm driving home and he calls. And I was like, I, now it's really obvious that it was a welfare call. But um, I he just said, look, they're, they're having snowboarding in the Paralympics. We want you to come down and train. And I was like, okay, there it is. Yeah. So that's that's my next thing. I went, I did that for probably two years. I broke my back during the process of that. Um, fractured my, my L2, I compression fractured it, which is kind of good. I've broken something on every limb now, like nothing's <laughs> left out. It's um pretty good. And then the yeah, I, the yeah, that's the thing. I mean, but it just got to a stage where, you know, you're living on ibuprofen and doing different things and winter, you know, I grew up in a coastal town you know, some of the challenges, I think, when it comes to the logistics of getting snowboards, people to mountains, the chairlifts, to all these other things, and then going through physically what you've got to. I Like I, halfway through the, the second year of, of going, I knew, and I mean, they were still racing border cross tracks. So when your back knees just a spring, yeah, it's, yeah, it was hard. And, you know, I, I, I found it hard when I was working pretty, like, hard and, like, getting ready to deploy special forces hard is how I was working. And people were telling me that the reason why you're struggling with getting across a tabletop that most people are struggling with is because you don't work hard enough. I was like, okay, I might. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, it sort of became a thing that I just made the call at one stage. I'm like, I don't just don't. Yeah. I'm, I'm out. I've just got to bow out and know that, you know, I didn't get picked for the team that went to the, the Winter Olympics, which is a good call because, you know, there was faster riders, you know what I mean? It would have been a charity thing and I'm not huge on, I don't really want charity awards. I don't like them. Um, you know, if I get one, I want to earn it, you know, that, and I think that's where what I like about, about the golf world is, you know, I mean, I, I've done different things on the way to deciding that golf was my thing. And one of them, I like, I've, I thought, what would I do if I didn't pay attention to everyone when I was growing up or anyone who's just that, the regular dream thief, if it's something that they think would be too hard or not for them, like, well, I'd be an actor. So I'm literally, I'm 30 years old, 31 years old, at acting school with a bunch of like kids that are like wildly inspiring in their own way, just so talented. 
that it was so much fun to be a part of. And then I end up just over two years through it, um, landing a role in Hacksaw Ridge. You know what I mean? Yeah. I thought it was just an Australian war film. So I, I, I'm a really weird with stuff in an acting in the acting world or any world, you know, it's one of those that they go, Oh, you're going to have to live with disappointment and this is going to happen. I'm like, I, I'm probably not. I just, I'm happy. I'll get whatever I go for. That's, yeah. that's how it works. Isn't it? That's always been like my mindset. I don't know why that's the most successful mindset for me. I mean, it's not yeah. for everyone and it's not, I guess it's not popular to talk about having a, a thought process like that, but that's literally always the way that I've thought, you know, I didn't, I expected to get into the, the special forces because I'm like, my best will be good enough. You know, yeah. if it's not, I'll know that I left everything on the table and that's my way of getting there is to go. I expect that to happen. So when I got the movie, I was down at Coogee and I get the phone call and I'm there with my, my missus at the time. And she was a lot younger than me, but my manager just goes, Oh man, you got the film. I'm like, oh, cool. I thought it was just an Australian thing. So I knew it was filming here. And he goes, yeah, yeah, um, you don't sound too excited. And I'm like, well, I kind of, you know, it's a war film. I've got a couple of runs on the board with war stuff. Like, it should be all right. He goes, yeah, mate, Mel Gibson's directing. And I, like, I just amputee happy dance, which for me, being a double amputee, is very top heavy. So I'm doing that, this weird dance down on the beach. <laughs> or near the beach and my missus at the time has looked and gone, what are you doing? Like, seriously, stop. And I'm like, I got the role. This is so good. But Mel Gibson's directing. She looked at me, no word of a lie, and goes, who's she? Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah. Um, <laughs> I gosh. remember asking his son, Milo, when we're on set. I was like, Milo, should I say it? And he goes, yeah, yeah, just wait till he's in a good mood. <laughs> and I'm like, but he was like seeing that part of it as well. It was, I mean, it was, it's a great, it was a great experience to do. And it was a great thing. It's actors work remarkably hard at what they do, but I think it was a gift and a curse getting something that good that early. Yeah. You know, I got to watch guys who I've just, you know, your mind's blown by the Australians that were in it. You know, you got Ben Minger for Astronomy. He was just, he's phenomenal. And to watch how he deals with people and then what he's doing towards his craft, he's just a, he's a legend, that guy. And then, you know, there's me just kicking along. But we rock up the first week that we've got this week of weapons drills before it. And I knew the guy who was training us. I'd done some domestic counter-terror stuff with him. So, oh, g'day, John. How you going, mate? You know, and so then the weapons tech was someone who I used to work with as well. So it's his actors learning how to, like, march and do their things. And I'm, that made me feel a bit more comfortable. But um, it was it's still sort of... It did enough, but it didn't. It didn't really satisfy the part of me that really wanted to. You know, I I know that there's a big bit of getting that part. That's because we're gonna. You know, they asked me into an office when I first had landed the thing to say, look, and I'm like, I know that this is gonna be that. Are you cool with getting blown up again? Um, and I was like, I was always gonna be like, yes, definitely, <laughs> let's do it. But then I was sort of like, all I could think was and say, like, guys, I think. The only thing that's disappointing is it's really going to impact my average. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, if you count this as a deployment, that means that two out of four deployments I've been blown up on, that's a 50% strike rate. Like, <laughs> I if can't World do War III comes, yeah, if World War III comes, no one's going to want to stand next to me. <laughs> um, uh, and, yeah, we had a bit of a, a bit of a chuckle with that. I mean, doing the, doing the thing, it was good, but 
Do you think it was finished? It's it's interesting that you know by the sounds of things, how you function is you are you love a challenge, and if things come too easy to you, then you're sort of like, oh, that's not for me. Yeah, it bothers me. Yeah, it really does. Like it's it's got to be something that yeah, if it does, I yeah, I just think those. I, and I just don't respect or seem to appreciate them, if you know yeah. what I mean. Like, and it's it's probably a character flaw more than anything because you can get a really good opportunity to do something that, like, I was, actually, I was reading something this morning, like the Invictus Games, and I never took anything that happened with them seriously just based on the fact that I knew that they were going to let me go. Yeah. And I was going to be, hey, Damien, could you please go? You're one of our worst injured guys. Like, um. But I sort of thought I've hit a stage through it where I'd done all these different things and none of them were really solving some of the personal things that were going on with me, you know? And there, there was, especially after, when you, when you go 2014 and 2015 is probably when it really, really got a hold of me in a different way. And PTSD is a really hard thing to explain to people, especially because anything mental, you can't really tell that it's there. I guess that's the nature of mental illness, you know, but you'd sort of sit there and, you know, I'd have, I'd have these odd periods of time where you just feel, you literally feel like you're about to cry, Mm -hmm. you know, that feeling, but right before you do, you remember it from, especially when you were young, but you'd, there'd be no trigger. There's literally nothing that could do it. And then you're there all of a sudden. And then something random and your brain just sees sort of sees rage. And then two seconds after the rage, you're out crying again. And you're like, family guy can't matter that much. Like, seriously, like, or it would be something that was really pedestrian. And I just sort of thought there's a, there's an inch that isn't getting scratched somewhere. Like I've got to sort of find through the acting thing. The best thing about it was part of the journey to do it well is understanding yourself. And I don't think I would have got back to the game of golf if I didn't need to go, okay, so what is it that makes me tick? What is it about those things? And everyone, you know, stubborn is probably the first attribute anyone who knows me will tell you. He's just stubborn as all hell, which is difficult to deal with. My daughter's the exact same. She's gorgeous. She's amazing. But she's just stubborn as a mule, just does her own thing. And I'm like, my dad just laughs at me. Whenever I tell him stories about her, I'm just like, oh, she did this. And he just cracks up. And just goes, yeah, wonder where she gets that from. Like you Love see, it. he takes a, a huge amount of enjoyment in it. Love it. But I was sort of, I was looking at the the things that I could do. I ended up getting different feet. They offered me different feet where for the first time, because every time I tried to play golf with prosthetics set up the way they were, I couldn't putt. Like it forced me into a standing straight up position. So I couldn't rock the crater when I putt. There was... When I drove, I had to sort of stand with my legs apart, locking them in in a weird way, and then not be able to really turn my upper body. There was just too many things that stopped it until I got different feet that have like 26 degrees of movement mm-hmm. so I could get my knees over my toes. And as soon as I stood in it, I was like, walking is going to be hard, but I'm going to be able to putt in these. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, at least I could do that at home type thing. And then... I would go out at Friday afternoon up at Magenta Shores. I'd drive up the Central Coast and I'd been an ambassador there for a few years before that. And um, 
I'd go up on a Friday Arbor and play with with my dad and and Ray Miles, a friend of ours, and that would that would sort of like you know help me through the little bits. I used to get like mulligans out of bunkers. They just make it a Friday Arbor a bit of fun type thing, and then it got to the stage where I was like, I can actually really make a crack at this and i'm like i wonder what other amputees are doing i want to beat all of them like it was literally that's literally where my head went it went straight to there and i i didn't even have a handicap at that stage i think i was off um they gave me like a 30 something something crazy yeah it was a it was a lot and then i think it slowly came down i wasn't like i was serious but not serious when i was putting along at the start and then I, I had this the moment where I looked at the game and you had to work for everything. Nothing came cheap. And it wasn't just having one shot. It was making the right decision in the place that you were and then being able to execute it. You know, there were different things that went through to this. What I just saw is this sort of beautiful collection of different things that you had to do to make it work. You know, it wasn't what you see if someone's swinging a golf club. There's just so much more to it than that. And the more it got me and got me, the better, the more I liked about it. You know I mean? And the guys, the guys from Magenta have always been great. You know, they've always, they've always looked after me and done way more than any, any club should, you know, for, or is obligated to for any, for any member, let alone someone who they're just really looking after. And I had this, um, I would go up and everyone would sort of have a, a couple of sort of different different tips or things that we were going through. And I was still struggling to sort of make it totally work. And physically, I hadn't looked into changing my gear that much because I was still trying to work out how to swing with it. And for part of it, a big thing about any type of crazy adversity is you know that you've just got to deal with that situation sometimes. There isn't always the mindset of, okay, what's the solution to this? There's a problem there. What, how do I find the solution? Sometimes you've just got to go, okay, that's where it is. And I'll putt along with it. And you kind of ride this tightrope of that sort of mentality. And I didn't want to, you know, you get your legs and you go, okay, so that's the way it is. Now build a swing around the way that I stand. And it became apparent really early that, because my <laughs> My dad's a bit of a hothead when he plays. Um, he still expects to play the game like he did when he was red hot when he was 21 and he's 68. So we, I'd sort of seen that and I thought that was, that was it. You know, if you, you duff a shot, you throw a club. You know, you swear and yell and then, you know, downgrade yourself and all these different things. But then when the obsession really bit me, I'm like, none of this will help. And this is perfect. You know, this is absolutely perfect because that's something I've always been a hothead. That's just one of those things about me. I'll pop just doing something where, and you can't, it just doesn't serve your game. Like everything I saw is the antidote to ways I was dealing with stuff personally badly. I found through what you need to do to be successful in the game of golf. And that, to be honest, is what matters to me now. You know, that's honestly, it's the, it's the thing that sort of keeps me going. The missus will do stuff. She'll go, oh, are you happy just doing that? I'm, like, I'm literally going through part of today's round in my head. Yeah. She's going, you've been sitting there staring at nothing for like an hour. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's a pretty intricate part of today's game, but, you know. <laughs> sort of. it's, so, it's so interesting. Like, you know, you, 
you talk about a lot of your personality traits and being stubborn. Um, stubborn is probably one of the most important elements to being a successful golfer is because you have to have that stubbornness to, to just keep working at it and keep working at it because I think we all know no matter what level you're at, whether you're Tiger Woods or whether you're a beginner, the game is never easy. Just- yeah, and I mean, some days you turn up and it's just not quite there. I mean, that, and that, that was one of the, it was a great, I'm friends with Jimmy Papadatos. He's up at Magena as well. And he's really, really generous with his time. And I mean, especially now I look back at it. I mean, I've, I've got a bit better now, which is kind of helpful. But back when I was first asking him for advice on how I could beat every world ranked disabled golfer, you know, he was, I think I was still on a 14, 14 or 15 handicap. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm still out there just literally talking about beating the Jeff Nicholas's, the Shane Luke's, the, you know, those, that collection of guys, the Mike Browns, you know, I, yeah. I think last when Brownie came over to Australia, he was playing in the, the President's Cup thing. They flew up to Sydney for an event after it. We had him over for dinner and I went out and played around with him at Bonnie Doon. And yeah, I'd still, for some reason, I still expected to beat the guy. <laughs> but yeah there's like in in getting back to Demi it was really cool having a chat with him and this he's been great with part of the the mental side of it one of the things is you know sort of some days you're going to get there and just knowing where your game's at that day and then working on something that you can do it you know the game and now I've you know it's sort of shaped part of the way that I see the game you know the game's not about being perfect the game is just something about using what you're doing today to become better tomorrow you know so if it's not all there try and find a positive or find something that if it's not working that's kind of a good thing because for me i can then find a way around it that's another tool in the toolkit you know so i've got i i sort of started from going well that lies unfair a guy with autism doesn't struggle to hit the ball from you know 12 inches above his feet whereas for me it's it's difficult you know but Mm. the 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 game for me isn't about worrying about that. It's about managing that. Yeah. You know, there's going to be different things that people have. Plus, when I hit that shot better than the guy with autism, that's going to make me feel that little bit better. And I think golf-wise, on a personal level, I was happy enough to play, at the start, to play C-grade golf until I realized the feeling that I get when you're winning as an A-grade golfer. You know, mm. all of a sudden, and then it's gone from them and feeling like people are clapping you because you're the disabled guy. It's a, you're the guy who's wearing shorts with prosthetic legs out in the middle of winter that just won by four. Yeah. You know, that was, and the feeling of that, you know, and I think that's, that was one of the things I really loved about it. The game, I didn't have to compromise. I mean, that's not me riding in a wheelchair to do it. You know, I'm, I do ride in a cart, but it's one of those things. I still walk up to the golf ball. I do the same pre-shot routine as everyone else on the course. And then, it comes down to hitting a better shot. And I mean, then the mental side, I think every single guy just about that I play with tries to hit the ball harder when they play with me. Yeah, they do. I like, I, I try to hit it hard. I obviously swing hard at the ball just in case I hit it. And um, yeah, every single person. So every flaw in someone's swing seems to be exaggerated. If someone's got a draw, it turns into a hook. And then I tone down to 80% and then you're like, all right, now it's going to get harder. Yeah, it's. I mean, I mean, it's just amazing, you know, the, the stories, um, how you've navigated that journey over the past sort of, you know, 
11, 12 years. Um, tell, tell us how golf has helped you. The PTSD, earlier before we started recording, you said something along the lines of golf is helping you solve problems that weren't being solved before the game. Yeah, I mean, like I think for one of the, one of the big ones that golf solves for me is the, the who I am. You know, I'm I'm competitive, and I think people have got a certain amount of competitive. And one of the one of the issues, if you're like just in everyday life, you know, I'd rather be competitive over what I'm doing on a golf course than say who's getting into the end of emerging lane first. You know what I mean? Which yeah. if you've got nothing else on your plate, that's a really important race for you to win. Whereas yeah. You know, I'd rather channel it into something that's a bit more useful. And I think for me, it's dealing with dealing with bad breaks. You know, I mean, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder seems like it. Most people operate on a level of probably two. You know, that's your emo your emotional state. If you're going to count it on a one to ten, you're sitting on a comfortable two or three. If you've got something going on in your life, like oh, I don't, I don't know, they an illness in a loved one or something of that sort, you probably operate on a five or a six. Um, like when you're, when you got PTSD, you're pretty consistently around a six or an eight. Mm. So it's like you're already carrying weight and then something else that happens puts weight on the top of it. And I really only sort of, it took me years to really get my head around that because that situation lasts for weeks. You know, it's, it's not something that your body just calms down from. And if you do get, if your body does react to something, if something does trigger it, no matter how much focus you put in there, going go like calm down, calm down. It's like having an argument with your missus yeah. and saying calm down. It just doesn't yeah. work. Like yeah. you say to yourself, "I'll oh, calm down. You're going to be fine." No. And then all you've got is the two voices arguing in your head. And see, that was another one. I, the way it solves part of the problems is the journey of how, like I'll sit there and you know you read you read in a game of golf, you read books like that where. They speak about you know, thinking fast and thinking slow. You know, I, I spent a lot of time through those 12 years reading those type of self-improvement books and trying to apply it to different sort of philosophies and school of thought of going, okay, cool. In my situation, how can I get just a little nugget out of this? Like it, and um, like I can somehow I could literally every single problem I've faced in the last 12 years, I could put in an analogy of how a, a game of golf or something that happens during a game of golf would it sort of assist you in dealing with wherever you are at that stage. So, and for me, it was, you know, I'm, you know, a professional speaker, you go out and you do motivational talks for me, it, it sort of serves as me proving to myself that I can put those pieces into practice. Yeah. You know, I can put all of these little, you know, nuggets that, you know, there's, there's being an inspirational or motivational speaker. And then there's, there's believing that those things and tools are really effective, you know, as, as you're using them. And I found the game just, it gives, it gives me an outlet for that. And I mean, just mentally, my favorite part when I first started doing it was before the MyScore app, you could turn your phone off and put it in your bag. And I had four hours, you know, where, all you're trying to do is think about how you how you're playing golf and what you're doing. You know, it's kind of like mindfulness. You know, it's a type mm -hmm. of meditation almost that, and that I, I found lifted a lot of the weight. You don't have to worry what's going on in social media. You don't have to worry about what's your goal with this or is this 
adding towards something? Is this doing something? And you could just consistently go, all right, well, with today, I'm, get, I'm getting fitter. I'm outside, so I'm not, you know, I'm trying I'm going to eat healthier. There's like the flow on effects that, yeah. that happen from it that have really just, like, I mean, now, but it's just, it's the next addiction, isn't it? It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. well, and, and I think the good thing, um, and, and Roscoe, you know, Roscoe's been a golfer his whole life. I haven't. I've only, I only started playing when I was 20, but when you get into golf and for you, you, you're never solving the puzzle, like the complete puzzle. You'll get you'll get close, and then another problem will, will be presented, and another challenge, another obstacle, and you've got to now work through that. And this is the great thing for me about where the journey you're on. Like the, the day that you said, "I want to be beat everyone," like in disabled golf, everyone, like. You have probably been following the rankings and setting goals about the rankings and, you know, thinking about how I can develop my skill sets to get to the certain rankings. And, you know, if I asked you right now where you currently are in the world rankings, you'd probably be able to tell me the exact number. 86. I dropped down from 101 last night. <laughs> so That's literally like, what I was doing before I got there. <laughs> Every Wednesday it updates at about 9.30 at night. Well, here's, here's so, another question. Where yeah. are you on the net rankings? Oh, it's irrelevant in the 30s somewhere. See, that's so interesting. It's so interesting. You're 20th in the net rankings, but you don't want a handicap. There's no, the nets, there's no, no it's irrelevant. No, see, I think, and that was one of the things with it. Originally, I wanted the, the net was important to me, but then I, I felt, I, I used too much emotional energy when I was snowboarding, thinking about it being an unfair game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and just going, oh, well, there's this. But, like, I, it's kind of golf's going to be an unfair game as well. I've got great eye-to-hand coordination. I always had it. You know, it's just managing that and making it an effective tool as opposed to just distance, which is what it was early. You know, so, and I tried to drop that. And I, was, I had a really good chat with Mike Rolls, who I'm, I'm pretty close with now. I don't know whether you know Rollsy, but he's, he's by, um, a double bologna amputee. So he's a proper amputee. Like he's at least got two. And um, we, we had a chat about, when well, we talk reasonably regularly about the, the world rankings and how they work. And there's just, there's some people on there that, you know, one guy, he's got a fuse back. Tiger Woods has got a fuse back. He, like, yeah, you know, there's, you start looking at some of that, but rather than wasting my energy worrying about, you know, why it's not a fair race with that. That guy also might have just been born with the gift of eye to hand the way I have, you know? Yeah. So at the end of the day, we've both got to work hard. And at the moment he's working harder than me. So, yeah. Yeah. And there's also, I think one of the, the good things about my background with it, there's training hard and then there's training smart, you know, there's effective training and then there's going and hitting 500 balls at a range doing the wrong thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and I like that journey for me physically. I've got to the stage now. Um, we're only in the last two months. I've got, I changed prosthetists, and the guy who builds my legs now is a golfer. He's always played off really low single digits. Like, we went to the range when we're doing the, the fitting and what we're doing. We've been through a process of winding them tight so that the legs are literally built just to facilitate a golf swing. And, you know, they've got little uh, rotators on the base of them and stuff. He picks up my nine iron and just pumps it to 150 with the smoothest swing you'll see. 
Like he may have got lucky the first time he did it, but I, I looked at it like when I was like, oh, Michael, you have a crack at it. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. He just stands out there nice and easy and goes bang. And you can see here a good, like a golfer's ball strike. Yeah. You know, and you're sort of like, this is the right guy. All right, yeah. sweet. So we've kind of, and that's one of the things is making sure that, you know, working to have the right people around me that can point me in the right direction. When I do tournament stuff, I'm good friends with Jeff Nicholas. Uh, he's literally amputee golf royalty in Australia. He's, He's won everything there is. He qualified for the Singers event in Scotland like two years ago. Just mind-blowing what he can do as an amputee. And, um, yeah, he's sort of – I've been really fortunate in him taking me under his wing to show me what works when it comes to tournaments, you know. So I'm not rocking up to a thing thinking it's a normal round of golf. You go out, you plan what you're going to do, you go through a process and getting ready. uh, Like all of the bits that – I'm a big believer in someone someone who's been there and done it at a high level. Everything that they do is something that interests me. Yeah. You know, like then all of those little bits of what you need to do, even when I still hadn't broken into single digits, you know what I mean? I was still going, this is part of the process to be able to get there. You know, and I don't want to wait until I'm almost there to go. So what have I been doing wrong for the last five years? Yeah. You know what I mean? They're all pieces to the, the puzzle that, I'm sort of trying to put together with it. And the, the good thing about it as well about the having a, a prosthetist as a set my legs up, physically I can do so much more training. You know, I was I, before I was limited on a putting green to maybe 20, 25 minutes. And then my back was unbearable for two days. Mm. You know, like all play around the golf or two rounds if you pay two days in a row then you're sort of out for at least a day and a half two days now i can do it wake up and do it again you know i can hit a big bucket of balls at the range and the only real constraint i've got is time you know you hit a hundred balls there and then you can you know which see and that's one of the weird things with it like now I'm really happy that I'm there now, but on the same hand, I'm frustrated that it took me that long to get to the point where I've been that particular about having my legs set up the way out, you know, but it's just a, a time and process. And then, yeah, it's one, one of those bits. Naturally an impatient person. Yeah. Oh, you're yeah. really bad. I've got the worst ADD. It's horrible. Um, <laughs> I think I feel the mess that goes on in my mind with speaking. Yeah. So that's just, yeah, just one of the things. Why I'm always saying something. I think. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and what's your what's your current handicap? What are you playing off uh, as we speak? Uh, five seven, five point seven. So nice. I mean, there's. I'm comfortably playing off five point seven now, which is good. I think the first I at the start of COVID, I was still above ten. I was still in. I think I saw yeah in a, between eleven and ten somewhere, and then. I, I don't. I hadn't even broken eighty at that stage. Like yeah. now, I'm disappointed if I don't. Um, but like it's it was one of those sort of things. I had I came down and then when I first had a couple of really good rounds, I sort of got down to the stage where you it started started stressing me out. So I'm like, I don't get a shot on this hole. This hole's hard. Magenta Shores doesn't have an easy hole. Mm. There's not one hole that doesn't challenge you. You know, I mean it's. And that's another sort of gift that I just fell into. It's 
it's the hardest course I think I've ever played for an amputee to stand. There's moguls everywhere. There's always yeah. level check. There's nothing that's flat. So your perfect range swing means absolutely nothing. Nothing. When yeah. you go out and play. So, and that's one of the things you've got to deal with. You know, you've got to try and put all those shots in your arsenal. I went down, I played with Jeff at the lakes and I was hitting the ball all right that day, but um, he only had to give me a shot and I, God, I, I had him pretty quickly. Like, yeah, I think I, so I beat him at his own course off the tips and I was, and he's like, the game's improved a fair bit from last time. And I'm, and I'm like, yeah, but it's flat here. Yeah. <laughs> like I stand on these nice carpeted lies. It's perfect. Like it's, it's fantastic. I can swing as hard as I want at it without falling over. <laughs> it's great. But. Damon, do you get uh, any, do you get any, uh, do you have a coach, like a, a swing coach? Do you do anything hmm. around that space? Who, who works with you there? Yeah, I, I do now. I um now that I've got the legs sorted out, there was bits of it. I'm I've never been one of the, my dad plays golf swing, which playing golf swing I think can be a bit of a bad haircut sometimes. You can keep cutting stuff off until you've got to shave the head type thing. Um, and I've always been more of a to me the mental side of things was always more. You know, I'm like okay, this is where I'm at at the moment. And then I started reading um, the Big Miss, the Hank Haney book about Tiger Woods's swing path, you know, and what he was doing with his swing back when he changed it in about 2005, I think it was. And as he was talking about the planes and a few other bits. And I started looking then at videos that I've taken on my swing at the range. And I thought, I think physically now I can do more with my swing. So Scott Spence, who's the, the pro at McGenery, came from, his name's Scott and he's Scottish. So naturally he gets called Scottish Scott or I ask him, you know, what it was like voicing the character Shrek. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's, he's, he's now coaching me. We've only, we've had four or five sessions and it's been mind blowing. Just my distance to the ball, the, the path that the club goes on on the way through has made it so much more effortless. Um, a big one, but I'd spent, three, three whole years doing Tiger Woods's putting drill with his bottom hand. And my, that's as straight as my right arm goes. I mean, you can't see it if you're hearing it, but it's probably got a maybe a 35, 40-degree bend in it rather than being straight. Um, and I'd always use that as my dominant hand because I'm one of those ambidextrous people who does weird things. Like one thing I'll do left-handed, one thing I'll do right-handed, and then, yeah. And I didn't realize I am left-hand dominant. So I'd been practicing putting, dominating with my right hand, wondering why I'm consistently missing left. And he's like, you're left hand dominant. So I moved to a left hand low and my putting average has dropped through the floor. <laughs> that's great. That's good. So, yeah. I think that's, you know, the last, I don't know how many years, I would say from my awareness, maybe five, six, seven, but how much more, information there is out there for amputee golfers and, and disabled golfers um so much education for coaches to be able to get resources with working with with people that have a form of disability and you know for me that is i can imagine what it's like for you to have that feel that empowered that there is resources out there that you can step into that help you to develop and become the best golfer you can be you can become with no excuses, um, you know, because I know that's a word that you will hate. Um, oh, it you know, just and, and me. Yeah, so it's like 
No. Like this, you're just never going to get better if you're making excuses. It's well, just, I mean, that's, you know, there's so much stuff. The first, you know, 30 minutes of you talking, I was like, all these things that you're saying, even about how stubborn you are, and I'm translating it to the game of golf and going, tick, 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 this is great. This is why Damien's becoming such a great golfer and this is why Damien's probably only 10% on his journey of what he wants to achieve. Yeah, I yeah, I'd probably, yeah, 10%. Yeah, just over five or six, I think, yeah. if you were going to really number it down. I mean, yeah. it's, it's getting there, I think. And there's so many different aspects to it which i love it's all there's always something that you can work on whether it's playing just different surfaces into like the intricacies of every different part of the game goes so deep that to really get there and i think me knowing that what you've got to do to be at that level plus there's guys who you know i mean that are in those top 20s those shanes and jeffs that are they're getting along it's not something that i have to do now you know what I mean? It's I'm building blocks to try and get to that stage, which for someone like me, the way that I am of wanting to be there now, that's what I kind of use as, yes, yeah, that's the thing to manage that sort of thought process. You know, yeah. it's not about having to be there now. It's about having to do something on your way there. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's, no, um, it's great. Yeah. The on, on your way there plan, you know, is that, do you just focus more towards, now rather than the the building blocks that are on the way or you know is the the big vision you know on the vision board that you look towards and and work towards that and and if so what does that look like uh the vision board at the the moment i mean it was to be within the first five years was to be at least in the top 50 Mm. um so i think now i'm probably three and a half years through competing and i'm at 86 but i've only just reached this stage where i'm really keen to work on different parts of my swing to make it that touch more consistent. I think for the first couple of years, I found it so hard, honestly, to go to a golf coach and usually, especially when stuff has come easy to be trying to get into a position that physically my body doesn't want to get into, you know, and then I I found it really difficult to then, especially because diagnosing a swing from an amputee is just a, totally different skill I think in seeing what you could do with a conventional golf swing so I was sort of like managing that and I think some of the parts of the disappointment of really trying everything that you can to get into a spot that you know is supposed to work in theory that doesn't and I've only just hit the stage in the evolution in the last sort of two months where those parts of the golf swing have become more important to me even if it's just to make me aware of different things while I practice, you know, there's, there's parts of it, there's parts of that, that, you know, and it's a, it's a consistent journey. I mean, before my legs were set up as well as they are now, it was just something I physically couldn't do. So, uh, you know, like I said before about the dealing with, you know, acceptance in general, dealing with the fact that sometimes that's just the hand that you've got, you've got to deal with it, you know, as opposed to now going, all right, we can really stretch this out. And on my board, the, the five years into the top 50 is still realistic. I mean, if I'm not there at the end of this year, I'm not this year. If I'm not there mid next year, I'll probably be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, in your ranking, your tournaments last for 24 months. So I've, I've only just had a couple of events that dropped off, which I'm still 
wasn't even in single figures for. But on the yeah. same hand, we we played at um, Glenmore Heritage Valley on the weekend in the New South Wales Amputee Open. And the second day, I just had no idea where the ball was going. I got there and it's one of those, it's hard. I It's the one of the first times as an actual, what I consider myself a, like a golfer now, I play golf and understand the game, that I've turned up and just not had any idea where I was going. I didn't like, usually you can put it down to maybe it's this legs out. Maybe it needs more volume. There's a few different sort of a checklist of stuff that you do to get it there. And then I was awful, like absolutely awful, which I think about halfway through the round, I realized that it wasn't coming back today. And each round you get, you score a particular amount of ranking points, depending on where you finish in relation to the top three um, shot wise. So, and I knew that, the last round was going to set me back. So the whole time it was just manage how bad it is. <laughs> like, yeah. So Jamie, yeah, you, it's, I was just going to say, uh, Damien, Jamie, you've obviously dealt with uh, scenarios like that with some of your elite athletes where at the end of a round, you know, they've come to you and, and you've had the discussion. I didn't know where it was going. I'm not sure what was happening. You know, what, what happens in that sense, you know, that Damien, you might be able to leave with Damien for if it happens again, hopefully it doesn't, but maybe it does. Yeah. Look, I think most people press the panic button. And they start to worry about, you know, how their current form, how that's going to play out over the next three to six holes. And, oh, my God, I'm hitting it left and there's water down the left for the next three holes. What am I going to do? And I think uh, and when we look at Herbie, when he won the Irish Open, you know, starts a round off well, final round, leading wide a wire. He's got a big wing, uh, He's got a big lead. And then for five holes, it just – it's off the park. He doesn't know where it's yeah, going. Yeah. And the best thing when debriefing that with him, the best thing he spoke about was he never overreacted or held on to that too much. He just tried to um, try to just focus on committing to the shot that he's got in front of him and not being too reactive. In the past, he would probably get, especially in that situation, you know, it's, you know, it's a big event and he's leading wide a wire, all eyes are on him. And then he, so he just said he knew that if he didn't interrupt things, it will come back. Yeah, it yeah. Was just, it was just a short moment in time. Um, and yeah, that, 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 you know, to me, he had a, a bit of an awareness. It was almost, he was a spectator of what was going on. So he would have a greater level of awareness around what was occurring? Was his heart rate getting up? Was he getting a little bit quicker than what he thought? And the one thing he did was he just made sure he slowed things down. He didn't get too quick because he knew that once things started to get too quick, it was game over. Yes. I mean, I think I, I think I really could have used parts of that. Like I was really aware that was the last, it was the first time I've made the, the, the final group of four. So the top four and, I, I stayed alive on the first day. I was five shots back, as in fourth by, you know, there, were, there was, yeah, was, the course played hard and it was wet. So it was, there was 79, 81, 82 and me on 84. And I played pretty bad on the front nine for the 84. Like I had a nine on one of the par fives just for making a bad choice and copping a horrible break. But it's also, I mean, it's a difficult hole. So I think I knew by going into that day that I'm going to feel a little uncomfortable because there's two top 20 ranked golfers that I'm, but I'm still in the mix with them. 
but I'm still playing with them. So I've got to think, I just know that there's going to be a reaction under the surface. It's going to be happening just on the pressure that that's going to bring to the table. But I still went in there with this confidence of going, you bring enough to be able to beat them. Like I've beaten Shane, uh, Shane Luke, who I'm speaking of, he's from Bankstown. He's yeah, really, he's the guy who gave Tiger Woods his prosthetic leg. I don't know if you saw that on the President's Cup. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah that, that was Shane. And um, like I've beaten him two of the last five times that we've played. So I was, I knew that I could mix it with him, but I think dealing with the disappointment of knowing it wasn't there on the day, I think I'd done by probably the second or third hole. And it became, for me, I, tr- I find that like trying to work out a trigger, like just my, just my ball strike on this. Just get one thing right of everything that you're doing. And yeah, I was tried to reset every single time I got to the ball. Like I probably spent more time making sure my mind was reset and flat and this and that and that. So I was literally fatigued before I got over the shot. You know what I mean? And that, yeah, by the end of the day, I think I was, I was just dejected. I would hit. You know, I get it. I finally hit a good drive and then get up there, have a reasonably short shot in. And then when the club's on its way back, go, you're out of position. Oh, no. Yeah. And then it was sort of one of those, whereas, you know, you don't have any of those thoughts when it's working. Yeah. So, yeah, sure. but I, I mean, I was, I was actually, with it being one of the worst rounds I've shot in the car on the way home, I had this, like, this moment of going, okay, well, I can take something out of it today. I never dropped the bundle. Like I, I, I didn't drop it and go, oh, well, I don't care. Next one. I literally focused and concentrated and wrestled with every single shot that I played there, which for me was, it was a win. You know, I probably on the, on the day it would have saved me shots. And it's something that, you know, it's, it's kind of easy to quit on a day like that, you know, yeah. and really not be there and go, oh, it's just, you know, it is, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, I'm just like, okay, well, that's going to get me nowhere. And I think, I saw it. I saw that round as something that's partially when stuff isn't working for you, that's something I'm going to have to accept and just deal with. Mm-hmm. There's going to be days like that. And there's going to be days, it's best to work out how to do it now when I've got to have my best day, like literally shoot the one of the best scores that I have to possibly win, you know, yeah. to give those guys a shake. And they've probably got to make a lot of mistakes to do that, you know, so realistically me being able to use it to get that sort of lesson yeah. was that was something that I was telling myself the whole time. And I had to, because otherwise I would have just dead to snap clubs. It was terrible. <laughs> I just had one of those, one of those days I hit like my, my 50 degree wedge. I can be pretty confident. I'm going to land at somewhere between 90 and 93 meters. I had a shot that was just, just less than 90, but it was, the pin would have, was sitting just downhill from a little bit uphill to get to it. I made the choice to use that club. I'm like, if anything, it's going to land a tiny bit short. I got a flyer. It flew the green by about 12 meters somehow, but landed on a slope, like a wild slope in this grass that caught it. So it's up the top of a bit. And then it's just downhill for the rest of this nightmare. Like it was, um, Sorry, Jeff Nicholas just called me. I think he's, <laughs> he just called me on the phone. I bet you he's talking about the rankings. That's another thing. We always run through it when we do it. But yeah, like, so I ended That's up awesome. on that. Yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's the, 
the everyday obsession. But um, because he's going to be asking me how my ranking went down when I went that badly in the, in the tournament. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's and he he's been. I think that's the the good thing. Like, as I I really like it. And it's one something that I do like about the culture of golfers in general. Like, backgrounds just so irrelevant it's like everyone all of a sudden is just on the same it doesn't matter where you went to school it doesn't matter what you've achieved in your life it doesn't matter what you haven't achieved in your life it doesn't matter anything it's just everyone trying to wrap their head around this the unbeatable game as Shaq puts it you know what I mean like well on this and everyone does it in their own particular way and I, I really like that you know that you go and then one day I can be speaking to someone who's you know, he's the CEO of a huge company or organization or something like that. And then the next day you're there with a kid who's got, you know, the stars in his eyes of wanting to be that next PGA pro, you know, and he's, yeah. you know, put, putting that work in. And I, I, that's one thing I really like about the game is like that, the equalizer, I guess, you know, yeah. we're all out there just wrestling the same thing. Yeah. No, I think that's the uh, attraction for all of us. Um, and I think, you know, through this podcast, you've certainly demonstrated so many strengths from a, a mental performance point of view. But I do have to say and ask you, what are your two weaknesses when it comes to the mental game and two areas that you want to sort of focus on developing, uh, you know, in next year's chase in the rankings? Um, I think part of one of the things that, is I think is definitely like I, I've said about the way that I go about things. I'm always, I literally expect to do it. You know, I'll rock up with no reason of, you know, no real justification of why I should be able to achieve the thing that I've done just because it gets me into the right frame of mind. So expectation management is definitely something that that I've got to work on. You know, it's something that I really have to put effort into I think not in my approach, but in dealing with it when it's happened, you know, Mm -hmm. I still, I still firmly believe at the end of the first night after not having a stellar round day one, that I could chase those five shots down, Yeah, you know, so dealing with the expectation management of that is um, that's a big one. Um, My other, another weakness. Um. I think outside noise, like there's bits of the game that, so this, I only say positive things. I, you know, typically that's, that's just the way that my mind works. You know, I, if it's a good shot, I get really, really excited. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're beating me. I don't care what it is. I just get pumped. I think it's great. I still struggle if I've hit a bad shot with someone sighing about it or something like that, oh, oh, it's going to be tough from there. I'm like, oh, thanks, man. I didn't know that behind a tree was going to be hard. I really appreciate that little free point. You know, like, that's something that is really, it's been a, I, I don't know why it bothers me. I think because after you hit the ball, right, you know, you go through your shot, you get it perfectly and everything's right. And you're like, all right, now I'm sort of at the mercy of it. Did I get it right type thing? When you've hit it wrong, you're kind of going through the feeling of, okay, so it felt wrong. It was bad contact. I'll try and fix it in my mind while I'm here, then yeah. leave it there and move to the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're going through that process 
and someone says it, or, or putting, you'll hit one with perfect pace and someone will go, oh, whoa, whoa. And it literally, last roll goes into the hole and you're like, what are you, what are you even talking about? Whoa, whoa. Like, <laughs> oh, it surprised me that that putt went in. Well, it did. You <laughs> three-putted. You know what you I mean? Like, I think that's... Do you know the scariest thing about this entire podcast? I see so many patterns in you that I see in my wife. <laughs> you, you two are like almost identical when it comes to the game of golf. She is exactly the same. And if she hits a crap shot and someone says, good shot, she'll go, no, it's not. Don't no, tell me not. it was a good shot when it wasn't a good shot. Yeah, it's pointless. Yeah, but like, especially but just, don't tell me it's a bad shot when when everyone can see it is. Yeah, that's right. Like it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, she's exactly the same. It's hilarious. But um, and, I mean, I think I think that expectation management. It's um, you know we've spoken about it a lot on the podcast and in the clubhouse. So I, you know, I think it's the most important element of the mental game and and how most of us just have it slightly out of kilter. Um, that impacts our performance and, you know, if people can spend a bit more time going through the managing of expectations, I think, you know, you mentioned building blocks earlier and having some building blocks to trigger what I think I think also might help a little bit is that psychological flexibility when you've got this goal to achieve something and it doesn't quite happen in the first three to six holes, to be able to um, you know, use that psychological flexibility to just pivot, to just give you a little bit of breathing space as opposed to just being stubborn and going, no, if it's not this, you know, it's a failure. <laughs> just, um, but, yeah, I think it's um, – but it's just made, I think, for me, it's been so great to hear how golf – so much like Mike Roscoe that um, golf has been a very big – important player in the game of you living a healthy, happy, um, meaningful, purposeful life in activating that competitive side of you and who you've always been and who you will always be. It's just so great that the game of golf can be there for you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's everything. It gets, like, literally, I have a read <laughs> nutrition blog nutrition books to the point like hole-in-one nutrition is just it's an amazing book that's based around being able to control what's happening in your system what like it's literally everything every single thing that i do is kind of shaped at the moment around beyond managing a missus and two kids it's literally the only thing that i do and i find they're only positive things you know yeah. if it's not drinking much or if it's what I'm choosing to eat or not eating white bread or the little things that I'm trying to do sleep wise or anything of that sort. It's a really, that's pretty much, that's one, one of the things that I'm really grateful to the game for, you know, it's, it's given me that, that little bit of balance that's really helped me and really assisted my discipline when it comes to, you know, things can really easily spiral to the point where, you can put your hands up and say it's too hard, but when you've got to go out and shoot a good score tomorrow, there's <laughs> there's there's no real room for that, you know. And it does. Yeah. I think that's that's part of it as well, you know. I, there's days where you don't feel like working, where you don't feel like training, you don't feel like going out and having a putt. When you've when I I feel for me personally, when I've got a goal at the end, which is to be to be ranked number one, you know. I mean, 
me and Papadatus want to win the Australian. Well, it's more me than him. I am always texting him when you get that. But, you know, want to win the Australian Open on the same day so that both the trophies can live at Magenta Shores. That yeah. would be cool. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like the there's, all, it's, there's always that thought that I find is enough. And if I'm in a, a bad spot, which happens sometimes, you know, your mind, we're just yeah. people, we're human. You get to the stage where something's difficult or, you know, you are, you're just having a darker sort of day. I find I go out, make myself go through the motions of, okay, where are you going out? And regardless of how hard it's going to be today, physically or mentally, you're going to hit balls, you're going to putt, you're going to do something, you're going to add just another, you're going to put just another rock in that jar which is yeah. which is the one that you've got to fill up. And I find that then then on the way home, all of a sudden I'm breathing lighter. My body feels better. I just, you know, to the to the missus, I feel, you know, that my communication skills are better. There's less math to what I'm doing. You know, it just sort of improves everything. So yeah. Yeah. I, and I think people people who know me closely have sort of said that that's choosing choosing to have the goal that I do in the game of golf has been the most positive thing I've done since I hit the bomb. So yeah, it's always a good thing to hear things like that. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's great to hear. And, you know, it's great for us to be a part of the, the game of golf. And we're, we're ever grateful to be able to engage with golfers of all levels, all walks of life and all stories and um, be able to help each other just, you know, um, keep using golf as the vehicle for us to, to smile and, and enjoy life and, uh, you know, tap into some of those competitive juices that we all have and, um have a bit of fun along the way. Damien, last question for me. Not that I've, I've been, yeah. it's been an absolute privilege and pleasure to sit back and just listen. And, uh, you know, my joke is I always sit, um, my job here is just to hit the record button. And I truly believe I've uh, achieved that brief by just sitting back and listening. And it's been a <laughs> um, No one else got a chance to talk. I just waffled. <laughs> but, you know, if, if there's a parent, you know, that finds this podcast through, you know, your name out there and, and wants to listen, that might have a young person in their life or someone in their life that's dealing with a disability and golf might pop up on the radar. You know, if you had to give them some advice or some, some discussion or something to, to, to guide them on the right direction, what would, what would that look like? What would it be? I, I'm a huge believer in, I think empowerment is, you know, one of the main trends that I've felt through myself and through uh, other disabled people that, I, that I've met over the years, you know, and I am a huge believer in doing it your way. You know what I mean? Find, let, give, give that kid or that friend or whoever it is the chance to really grit in and do it their way so that then it, it really feeds the positive, the positive cycle of what they're doing in the game and why they're doing it there. You know, it's, it's will empower them to really, and then begin to believe it just starts a positive loop of things, you know, do it, do it your way. That's like my advice to anyone who, you know, is, is dealing with any type of adversity, give yourself all of the power in it. Don't be a victim of anything, you know, do it your way, do it, do it the best way that you can, which is, you know, you, you don't always have to ask for advice. Sometimes it's there, but think about a way to solve it. And then it begins a loop. I think when, it works, you know, when you have empowered yourself and given you the self, the chance to go out and do that, that task or well, or whatever it is that, that level of empowerment then affects everything else that you do, which starts a positive loop on the way up, which hopefully can combat some of, some of the negative ones. I mean, plus the game just in general for, for anyone, and I've seen some 
like you don't have to be amazing at the game. There's so many different aspects of it. Um, but I've, I've seriously, I've played against guys who play with one hand in the the wheel. I, I forgive me, but I forget the actual name of the assistance chairs that they have. Like I don't know what the uh, the official name is. Like played a guy called Nick who's who's off like nine, and he's an absolute gun. You know, what I mean, so there's really no limit to to how far you can improve and what you can do. Out, out on a golf course. I think they're called that. the para the para uh, gliders or yeah. I saw I saw yeah. them recently through Empire uh, Empower Golf and James Gribble. Empower, and, uh, yeah. Uh, right. Well, uh, if we could, we've we've been talking for an hour and twenty. Uh, I'm sure that we could keep talking, and there's so much more of your story that I'd, maybe maybe when I'm up home one day uh, visiting the hunter that we can uh, come down to Terrigal. Uh, my dad likes to go out to um, what's the big Erin Erin Affair. He like he loves to take us for a drive. <laughs> he loves to take us for a drive down to Erin. So maybe I might bypass Erin and come to get him to drop me off at Magenta Shores, and we might have a game of golf or something like that. That'd be great. Oh mate, treat yourself. There's it's one of it's one of yeah. I I love the course so much. It's an absolute privilege to be able to get to play it the way that I do. It's it'll challenge you in ways that. <laughs> yeah. honestly if you're on your day you'll leave it and you'll feel like an absolute superstar if you're not on your day you'll be very humble <laughs> well, if uh right. if you're happy to have me up there i'm happy to come jamie uh if you're back down this way uh, you should join us as well yes no oh. definitely will right damien anytime it's been, you want boys anytime you want it's been a pleasure it's been a privilege uh you've left so much value on the table for the listeners to to take out of this podcast and uh you know where can we find you? I'll put out all that in the show notes. You've got a book, uh, of course. You know, got all the back catalogue of the work that you've done through your acting, uh, your website. All of those links will be in the show note. If you've listened this far, thank you very much. Um, we'll put all that out there, and you know, I really do appreciate you joining us and sharing your wonderful journey in the world of golf. Thanks, heaps. Can I give one last shout out? I, I don't know why I've forgotten about this so far through the podcast. Taylor Made are the guys who. I sent an email to, or my manager sent an email to a while ago about wanting to try and make my swing work and things be easier. The guys at TaylorMade Pacific have been phenomenal in fitting me and getting me sorted with everything that I could need. And they've literally put up with the emails and text messages at all hours of the night where I've totally solved every problem that I've got in a particular aspect of my game. And they've been absolutely unbelievable with making sure that all of the that I've got the right fit and they've dedicated time and, and a lot of effort into making sure those little things work for me. So it's something that I probably should have mentioned earlier, but the guys have I if you if any of you are listening, I really appreciate and love what you do. It makes my journey so, so much easier having people that do what you do on board. Well, from Andrew Bayless uh, at the top of Talamade Australia Pacific, uh, Aaron Amira in charge of marketing, Benji in the, yeah, perform- as, that's in the, him. As, <laughs> uh, performance lab. You know, they're, they're partners of, of mine in, in business. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're great guys and they're very passionate about what they do. And, you know, the support they give you obviously is um, very valuable to you. I, ask Aaron about some of the emails. Next time you talk, Aaron, <laughs> just go on. So what a, just run me through a couple of crazy ideas that Damien's had at different different periods of time, like text messages or whatever at odd hours of the morning. <laughs> well, not of the morning, always reasonably. The pursuit yeah. of greatness, it never stops. Very good. It doesn't. It doesn't. I, I think the, the question then is: I saw it on the Bulls documentary. If it hap- like if it happens, I see expectation yeah. management started already. Or when yeah. it does, what will be the next thing? 
Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. The scary thing for everyone else is I've already worked out what that is. But yeah, <laughs> I'll keep that love in it. here until I hit the first goal. Uh, love it. Jamie. Thanks, mate. Thanks for joining. Appreciate it. And thanks, Roscoe. No problems, Jamie. Thank See you, you Damien. Thank you. And uh, I'm sure thanks, maybe what, maybe we'll catch up next time with my friend. Maybe the four of us can have a chat. And that'd be great to get, uh, get the band together. Sounds yeah, great. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, that'd be guys. awesome. We'll see you next time. All right. Cheers, guys. Thanks for joining us on the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you. If you want to bridge the gap between potential and performance and start to build your own unbreakable mental game today, join us over at mentalmastery.com.au at the Mental Mastery Clubhouse where we would love to connect with you and see you on the inside of the clubhouse where we can continue the mental performance journey. It's been a pleasure having you. See you next time.